Peace be with you. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Can we clap for moms? Yes? Yes? Thank you. Thank you, moms. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you. Um, um, here's what I want to say about that. I want to say the most obvious thing about mothers. As a man, I don't know what it is to walk an inch. I don't know what it means or what it's like to walk an inch in your shoes. That, that should get a heartily amen from the women in the room that I'm acknowledging something that I just don't know. What, here's what I know. So I'm going to speak on what I know. I just want to say um, we, this, the, the world under God's care and provision is better. It's just, it's just better. And the church is better. Uh, having women who are mothers it's better um, having women who are not mothers, whether that's by choice or not by choice. And women it clearly exhibit to me, and I hope, men, you recognize this, um, you should recognize this, that women clearly exhibit particular attributes of the image of God that make us better and make our church better, and make our world better. And so, man, I'm just so thankful for that. I was thinking about that last night, thinking about that this morning, and I just want to say thank you to you, and your, your presence is a real gift to us, and wherever you're at in, in, in the journey of, of, of being a, a woman. So that's the best I can do as, a, as, a, as an idiot man. And so um, I, I just, I love you, and I appreciate you, and um, yeah, so, and men, just nod along and say thank you to, to the women um, and be kind to them and give them thanks and pray for them. So um, we are, yes, in book, still in the book of Jonah. So turn there. If you've got your, if you're a Bible, uh, you know, if you bring your Bible, open it up. If you're new to the book of Jonah, it's kind of a hard, maybe a hard book to find. Use the table of contents if you need to do that in the, in the Old Testament. But we're going to be uh, picking up in a chapter, we're still going to read in chapter one, actually, of Jonah, uh, right there at the end at verse 17. And we're going to go through chapter two into verse 10. Okay, so Jonah 1, 17, Jonah 1, 17, that's where we're going to pick up. It'll also be on the screens. Um, if, if, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, do so. If not, that's okay. But we just do that here just to kind of physically practice what it means that we stand under the authority of God's word. Here's what it says. Um, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And, and then I said, I'm, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. 
I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. And those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then we come out of the prayer, and it tells us, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. I have an image for you to kind of get us in a frame of mind for this text. This is, um, this is up in uh, down east coastal Maine. I, it's where I used to live years ago. Uh, this is actually a picture of my favorite trail up there. Probably maybe one of my favorite hiking trails anywhere in the world that I've ever done. Um, I've been there many, many times. It's a beautiful place. I lived about 15 minutes from that. Yes, yes, you're probably like, why is he here then? Because of God. Um, so, yes, I've hiked this many, many times. I came to understand its riches and its beauty um, because I had so many moments on this trail of, of laughter and joys and also pain, and also lots of pain. Uh, as a matter of fact, I got so lost, so lost on this coastline uh, one time, more than one time, but one time in particular, I got so lost on this trail, I almost got dumped by my, at the time, girlfriend. Um, which is why I didn't marry her. I married my current wife that I love dearly. Um, as a matter of fact, yeah, yeah so I, I, it's, it's true, I did. Um, we were hiking, and um, it was winter. I don't know if you know, but it is cold up there in the winter. And um, I it was kind of carrying on for a while, and I kept, she was getting tired. I kept saying things, well, it was just, we're just around the bend, we're almost back, we're almost back. And then it was like, no, we're not almost back, another three miles. And then we're right around the bend, right around this corner, we're going to be back to the trailhead. No, another two, another one. It just kind of kept going, and wah, wah, wah. You get it, right? Like, it was bad. I didn't, I just kept being confused. I didn't really understand. She was so tired, mad. I mean, we were hiking back at this point in the dark. Being in the main wilderness, lost in, you know, in, in the wintertime, is just not a good scenario. Um, you can imagine. So um, she was so tired, mad, and probably disgusted with my stupidity that she literally uh, thought I was testing her resolve. Yeah? Like, you did this on purpose. I protested. See, I protested. I, I really did believe I knew where I was going. You know, I really did. It, it, this was not a manipulative plot of mine. I just overestimated my knowledge of the journey. Um, thankfully, you know, despite my ignorance, God brought us back to the car safely, not without some bumps and bruises along the way. We, we did. We suffered those. Yes, but we got back safely nonetheless. Now, my point is this. A life of faith is very much like that. Your life of faith is going to be like that. It is like that. I mean, it's a journey filled with moments where you totally get lost. You slip up. You lose your way. You get out of place. And you eventually come through it. Um, and it further reinforces, hopefully, hopefully, as you look back, you know, tw- you know hindsight's twenty twenty, And as you look back and you go, ah, oh, man, you start to see the abundance of God's grace and God's mercy 
particularly in ways that you just weren't even aware, like at the time. Like you, oh, I see it now. He was, he was, he was in control. <laughs> he was being patient. He was preserving me in ways. I just didn't see it at the time. Um, and I say that because the scene, this particular scene in Jonah, this, you know, he's, he's been in the boat, he's been running, you know, he's drowning, almost drowning, all of this. You know, this journey, in the, Jonah shows us that um, his journey in the faith is what I would call, here's how I would title it, uh, mixed motivations in God's mercy. Mixed motivations in, in God's mercy. Um, for, just for context, because some of you might be new this morning or you haven't been here for a few weeks, Jonah, the prophet, he's a prophet of God. He's, he's been called to, to preach to his enemies, the Ninevites. He doesn't want to do that. He's angry about that. Maybe he doesn't even fully understand how angry he is about that. Um, he's been asleep, both literally in the belly of a boat while he's trying to get away, but asleep uh, just metaphorically speaking, like he's not really awake to his surroundings and realizing how he's impacting people. Um, we discussed that last week. And so he's been, the language is so poetic, the way the, the author writes the story. And he's been going down, 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 down. He's been going down to the port in Joppa. He's been going down into the boat, down into the belly of the boat, down into sleep. He's just going down and down and down, further and further away. And now he's going down into the sea, literally. The, the seaweed is wrapping around his head. It's crazy. Uh, he's about to drown. Um, you would think, so at this point, Jonah, I think Jonah's awake now, right? Like last week we discussed him kind of, he's the sleepy Jonah. He's just lacks energy. <laughs> he lacks a sense of awareness. Um, he's awake, kind of, kind of, as we'll get into a little bit more here in a bit. Uh, so verse 17 of chapter 1, it says that, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Swallow is a really important word. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and then Jonah prayed. I love that. Then, then Jonah prayed to the Lord as God from the belly of the fish. Um, the fish, it's important. But it's not everything in the story, which like in children's literature, it's like everything, it's like everything is about the fish. And the fish is important, but it is not the point of the entire story. But the fish is very much what you would call a severe mercy, a severe mercy. Sometimes you must experience painful moments before you deal with God honestly and unfiltered. And does that sound familiar to any of you? Um, it's, it's, it's interesting, it's in the belly of the fish that Jonah finally prays. It, it, it takes him hitting rock bottom. Um, and, and that's just how it is in life, sometimes. It, it's how it is in my life, in your life, that once you're fully stuck and confined and in a, like a cramped spot and you've run out of options, now you're ready to actually start to deal with God. I mean, as a pastor, I just have noticed, not just in the church, but outside the church, for those that don't even call themselves religious, everybody actually eventually prays. They do. They just might not share it. Everybody at some point starts to reach out and call out because we all find ourselves in moments where we really feel stuck. That's when people pray. Now at the bottom, he's at the brink of drowning and he's been swallowed up into the guts of a fish. 
And I think it would be more accurate to say almost really, Jonah is swallowed up by his destructive behaviors and decisions. Um, He is swallowed up by his own stubborn, oblivious pride. And that's what, at least symbolically, it often feels like for us as people. When you let your sin go unaddressed, you know, like a little bit here, a little bit there, not a big deal, you think, consequences won't be dire, and you just leave it unaddressed, and then it builds, and it builds, and it builds, and sin is relentless like that, and then eventually you get swallowed up by it. And it can feel constricting, cramped. It's important to realize that sometimes, because this is, I want to I be fair to reality, sometimes um, it's someone else's sin, you know, that puts you in a cramped, confined, depressing place. That, that, that's, that happens. It's happened to many of you, I'm sure, at some point. Um, or sometimes um, you find yourself in situations and you, you're like, well, blaming or how, how you got in this tough situation that you're in, this bad spot that you're in, and you think, man, how did I end up here? And, and the answer is just elusive, you know? Is it me? Was it, was it somebody else? Sometimes it's just confusing. Um, all, all of these options are, are possible, and they re- actually, I would say that all these options will, you know, all these realities will happen to you at some point in your life. Your sin puts you in a bad spot. Somebody else's sin puts you in a bad spot. Sometimes it's just complex and weird and you don't know where it comes from. They all can happen. Regardless, when you get yourself, when you find yourself in the belly of a bad situation, the best thing to do is pray. Always pray. You call out. And Jonah reminds us that God allows and even appoints constricting moments so that you might finally deal with God and so that you might also finally deal with yourself. You know, there's dialogue you might need to have with yourself. Who you are, who you've been this year, you know, the last month, and who you're called to be, you know, and you just know it and you feel it in your, your own gut and you're just not stepping into it. And so let's, let's, let's listen in because the prayer is so helpful for us. In this verse 2, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Sheol is just the place of the dead for the ancient Hebrews. And you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep. It's important there. Verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Now, here's the thing. At the risk of making a portion of you angry, okay? I'm willing to risk it because this is actually really helpful and important for us. It's something we all have to digest. Because what he is saying here, particularly in verse 3, is so, so instructive to your life of faith. If you recall, it was the sailors last week that threw Jonah overboard, was it not? So I have a question. Um, do you blame them for it? You know, I mean, they were, they were trying hard through the storm, but they're just like, this is, this is just untenable. We can't do it anymore. And Jonah offers himself that way, but, you know, they didn't have to do it. So are they the bad guys here? It's interesting because you could empathize 
if Jonah was to say something like, well, they just didn't try hard enough. I mean, I know I, I, know I put it out there, but I didn't expect them to like, take the option. Because we've all done that sometimes, you know? Where we offer something we don't really expect our family, our friends to say, yeah, we'll take that option. It could have been easy for Jonah to go that route, but he didn't. He didn't do that. He doesn't mention actually the sailors at all in the prayer, if you noticed. And actually, I would say that this side of Jonah is something that we should admire and learn from. He says, you cast me into the deep. God, you, you, you did this to me. You, you, you put me, you threw me overboard. And so is he blaming God? Kind of, yes. Um, but it's clear that this isn't anger towards God. He's not angry. He's simply acknowledging God's sovereign work here. And it would have been easy for him, and this is why I say, look, at the risk of making some of us angry, it would have been easy for Jonah to focus all of his attention on the people around him and not actually dealing with God. Because this is what we do when we find ourselves in bad moments. We focus our attention on the others around us, what they have or have not done well. And, and the reason why it's so helpful and it's so important is because that's, that never leads to transformation, ever. While squeezed into the guts of a fish, which undoubtedly was, I don't know, uncomfortable? You know? I don't really know what that's like, but he's gasping for air, maybe? I don't know. I, he, Jonah could have thought of those pagan sailors, those, those crazy Ninevites, you, it's you guys who put me in this situation, ultimately. Had you not been acting that way, I wouldn't be, be in this spot. And maybe some of those thoughts would have been fair, but the fact that he sees through all that and he sees God behind all of this at least means that he doesn't have this narrow view of God. He has a, he has a much better understanding of who God is, how big he is, and how he's involved in all of this. And the transformation that God wants for Jonah... Um, the dialogue God is looking for isn't going to happen so long as Jonah only focuses on the other people and not himself and not on God. And this is something so hard for us when we find ourselves stuck, depressed, and in an angry place. There might be reasons for us to, to take up a narrative of he did this, she did this, but at the end of the day, our transformation in large part requires for us to focus on God and deal with God. What is he inviting me to see? What is he inviting me into? Now think about this with me. And this is tough. And I've been thinking about this all week. What, what do you think God's primary agenda is for you? What do you think he, his priority is, his plan for your life? And the reason why I ask, it seems like such a simple question, doesn't it? But if you stop and think with me for a moment, I, I, I think what hopefully you'd be honest enough to, to recognize, and, and I recognize this in myself, I just don't think that we're fully aware at times how much um, or to the degree to which we're operating with this assumption that God's agenda is to give us safe passageway to the fulfillment of our own dreams. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think we're even aware of how much we assume that about God. 
Like it's there operating all the time. And, 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 and I, we, we assume this thing. We just think, God wants me to sit down and write up my dreams. And he, he wants to say, yes, I want to give you that. And, and with lots of comfort along that way. And, but the truth is, as someone who's doing the best I can to try to study this story, like from front to back, it's nowhere in there. <laughs> that idea is just not there. I can't find it. And that doesn't seem to be what the Bible is telling us at all. The, the truth is the redemptive story of the Bible is telling us that about this God and what he wants for us. It's telling us that, you know, he's looking upon a spiritually dead people. Just spiritually dead. And, and he, he has deep compassion upon our spiritual deadness. And, and he's coming for us. He's come for us in his son. And he's taken on our punishment. And he's called us. He's called us to himself. Like he's initiated this conversation with you and with me. And, and, he, and he's, he's saying, hey, hey, Liz, look at what I'm doing for you. Look at how I love you. Look at how you treat people. Wake up. Wake up. See, see who I am, who I really am, and what I want for you. Believe and repent, which means turn from things, you know, repent. And then he empowers us, like he puts into us his, his spirit to, to, to give us the courage and the ability to endure hard things, hard things, so that we might be fashioned and shaped into the image of his son. That's his, that's his agenda. It is not to give me safe passageway to the fulfillment of my own dreams. His agenda is to say, hey, I'm actually not that interested in giving you safe passageway. I'm interested in fashioning and shaping you into the son, into Jesus. And here's the hard truth about it. It doesn't happen through safe sailing. It just doesn't. It's the storms and it's the belly of really bad moments that shapes you into the image of the sun. Because this is what we see in Jesus, of course. Jesus suffered, but was resurrected into something new, right? This is the good news of the gospel. And that resurrection brought a new beginning and a new life for everyone who believes. This, this is, of course, what Jesus meant when when he was confronted by the religious leaders in Matthew uh, chapter 12, and they go to him and they say, teacher, give us a sign. You know, show us a sign. In other words, they say, you know, just, hey, Jesus, you get, put on a show so that we might believe everything you're saying about yourself. And Jesus answered them by saying this, verse 39, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so what Jesus is saying there is he's saying, that, look here, guys, the sign I'm giving is this. What will look like death and defeat to you will be your deliverance. And some of you will not recognize it. Severe mercies. And it's very tough to digest. And this is how God worked out salvation through Jesus, right? What looked like the death and defeat was 
ultimate cosmic deliverance. But it's not just how God worked out salvation through Jesus. It's how he works in your life and in my life. And so is God's agenda, is his plan to make you miserable? No. No. But it is not to give you pain-free, safe passageway either. It's not. It's not without distress. It's not without waves and billows. The truth is safe sailing won't change you. It just won't. Storms and being swallowed up by your own pride sometimes or by, the, or by a destructive and, you know, broken world. Those are the things that will fashion and shape you. But here's the thing. It's not just the belly of a bad situation that transforms you by itself. Because I know a lot of people, sadly, I know a lot of people who've been through horrible things and it has not transformed them. Well, let me repeat. Let me say it this way. that It has transformed them into being more callous, hard, cynical, and bitter. What transforms you is you going into storms, being swallowed up by a broken world or by the brokenness of your own sin. And then when you hit rock bottom, you look to the mercy of God and you pray. That's what transforms you. Those are the things when they come together when you see the character and the mercy of God and you begin dialoguing with God as your true self in the belly of a really bad situation, that's when God says, okay, now we're ready to change. So let's keep going through the prayer. Verse four, he says, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He's he's just just poetically describing dying. Yet, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. So something in Jonah knows, God is not done with me. And that's really important to realize that when you're in a really tough spot, when you trust in the sovereignty and the goodness of God, like, like, Jonah says something really interesting. He says, you brought up my life from the pit. Wait, where's Jonah at? (laughs) He's not on the land yet. He's in the belly of a fish. It's strange. So Jonah says, you you did this. Like, you you saved me. Wait, so Jonah's in the fish. Does Jonah see the fish as discipline or deliverance? Yes. The answer is yes, because that's how it is in life sometimes. It's both. And that's the key, again, to this transformation we're talking about of life. That a major theme here is that, uh, in this prayer is that Jonah prays thanksgiving before he's totally delivered. The fish kept him from drowning, but he's still in the belly of a fish, and yet Jonah's thanking God and praising him while he's still in the fish. In other words, you could put it this way. Jonah sees God's goodness and praises God despite his circumstances. That's very, very difficult. Or to reverse it, circumstances don't rob Jonah of praise. He comes in to the church full of hard circumstances, and he's lifting up his hands and he's saying, but you're good, but you're good. 
until I try to believe, until I believe it deep in me, right? Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. It's interesting. Jonah makes pretty much a perfect statement, um, a perfect summary of the entire storyline of the Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That, that you know, the, the story of the Bible is not a story of bad little boys and girls who, 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 who've pulled themselves together and figured out a way to save themselves. That's, that's, not, that's not the storyline of, of the Bible. That would be contrary to everything that the Bible's saying. The Bible's telling a story that salvation comes not through us working hard enough. It comes through God stooping down into our mess and giving us a chance because he's merciful. He's merciful. Salvation comes and is in his hands. And he can save and show mercy to whoever he calls upon and who call upon him. Let me say it again. Salvation, deliverance from destruction, comes from God to whoever he wants. To whoever he wants. That's what Jonah said. And although Jonah is making an incredibly accurate statement, if you keep that statement and that prayer in context of the entire narrative, something should cause you to raise your eyebrows and say, wait a second, Jonah. Have you actually got that deep truth in you, Jonah? You say it, you're theologically correct. Jonah, you could write a commentary. But do you actually live it? Is it deep in you? You want to ask Jonah, I want to ask Jonah while he's praying this prayer. Uh, okay, Jonah, can God actually forgive and save whoever he wants? Because if you, you know the rest of the story, you, you, or you stick around, if you don't know the story, you stick around for a couple weeks, you're going to see something. Jonah's struggling with this idea. Really struggling with it. When Jonah says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, who is he referencing? There's a lot of I statements in Jonah's prayer. But yet there's no I did this and it was wrong. Although he's right, there's, some, there's something just off here, particularly at the end of the prayer. And I get the sense that Jonah isn't referencing himself uh, when he talks about those who pay regard to vain idols. I mean, are you referencing the pagan sailors, Jonah? Are you, are you referencing uh, the Ninevites, Jonah? Who, who, who are you referencing? I don't know if you noticed, but in the prayer, but Jonah's not really been a, a model prophet of God, has he? Um, not at all. But in this beautiful, and it is beautiful, poetic prayer, Jonah never once mentioned his running. He, he, he never once mentioned his refusal to take up God's commands. He never once mentions his obtuse response to the people around him who are suffering. Oh God, I have been completely blind. Oh God, I, I, I have ignored the people around me that are suffering. Oh God, I have been tribal. Oh, oh, oh God, I have been racist. Oh God, I have fill in the blank. And there's nothing there of that. 
I mean, yes, you, you, you got to admit that in spite of Jonah's sleepiness and defiance, Jonah does have a way with words. He, he's clearly a preacher. And, but you know, every line in the prayer mimics the language of the Psalms. If you are a Psalms, kind of, if you read the Psalms, you probably notice that. You're like, this thing just reads like a Psalm. Yes, it is. Jonah clearly is writing poetry, poetic prayer, and he's basing it off all the Psalms that he has clearly memorized throughout his life. And the prayer does read like a psalm, but all the scholars agree, all of them. Jonah is writing a psalm of thanksgiving. He's not writing a psalm of repentance. And that's significant. Uh, Pastor Eugene Peterson once wrote this on a weekly newsletter to his congregation. Psalms are the most accurate mirrors of the human heart we have. It is significant that they say two things. Humanity is involved deeply in unhappiness and wrongdoing. And God is cosmically involved in a both glorious creation and a gracious redemption. As Christians, this is the boldness in which we should participate. We must be bold in admitting who we are. People who fall short of God's will and who often are active accomplices in plans to thwart or destroy his will. If at any time we fail to do this, we become self-righteous, arrogant, pontifical, and almost insufferable to those outside the church. It seems to me that Jonah's psalm is an accurate picture of not only God, but also of the human heart and the condition of the human heart. That sometimes we say the deepest truths about God, but deep in our own lives, we are struggling to live them out. And something tells me, knowing the rest of the story, that despite the eloquent language and the deep theology, Jonah still has some self-righteous, pontifical, arrogant, insufferable attributes to him. But here's the thing. That's not the most shocking thing about the scene. The most shocking thing about this part of the story is that God accepts the prayer in spite of that. That he has him vomited out onto the land. Now maybe, maybe, because I believe that this is how big God is, maybe God just said to the fish, are you done with the the duplicitous guy in your belly yet? And I think the fish is just sick of him. Get him out. I can't take it anymore. Did you just hear what he said, God? I know, I heard him too. Uh, The great commentary, James Bruckner, he wrote a great commentary on Jonah. He says, Jonah prays, this is so good. He prays what he is capable of praying and not more. God accepts the prayer for what it is, a stiff but true expression of thanks for not drowning. Plainly put, Jonah has looked toward God. It is enough for his deliverance. God will deal with his protest running issues later. God answers those who call out in distress whether their issues of protest are resolved or not. He delivers all who call out in trouble. I I, I wish I was like that, but I'm not God. I would have said... Go back, rewrite it. You see, I don't think God is fooled for a second over the actual full condition and complexity of Jonah's heart. But God seems to accept Jonah's condition, as bad as it is, as a work in progress. And he's big enough and he's merciful enough to endure with him anyway, because that's the God that's actually in the Bible. And here's the deep truth I'm inviting us all to receive as we wrap up our time here. And that is this, an underdeveloped heart, which I have and you have, 
an underdeveloped heart that prays is still prayer. And God gladly welcomes the dialogue. He gladly welcomes that. God is not waiting for your perfection before he listens, responds, and deals graciously with you. He just wants to have a conversation with you. He knows that fully living out the truths that we learn in the gospel is a process. It's a journey. So the invitation could mean a lot of things for you, but I know it's this. If you don't see anything else in Jonah, see this. You go to God and start talking to him about what you know. What is it that you know about yourself? Be honest about that. And, and also ask him to reveal what you don't. And wait. So, you know, as, as you sit and reflect, and I don't know what this might do to you, this, this scene, this prayer, but as you come, if you want to come up in a little bit to, to take part in the Lord's Supper, if that's where you're at in your own journey, as you come to the table, remember this. You are a mixed bag of good theology. You're a mixed bag of good intentions, wonderful praises, uh, wonderful deeds. But you also, friends, you share in the humanity of Jonah's struggle and Jonah's mixed motivations, his hidden protests. You share in Jonah's tribalism. You share in Jonah's judgmentalism. You share in this. I share in this. And, and the church so often gets it wrong. We look at people, we look at each other, and we look at people out there with this like, false dichotomous lens, like people are all rebellious or all righteous. It doesn't work like that. God doesn't look at people like that. He doesn't treat them that. He sees the complexity of their heart. He sees the complexity of their lives. In short, we all need so much work on our hearts. So at a minimum, embrace this as true. Instead, we should be looking for more of God's grace in people. And that God made us righteous through Jesus, but he also has a whole lot to say about ongoing issues in my life. And we all share in that process. And so humble yourself before him. That, that would be my ask of you. Humble yourself before him, not as a fully arrived know-it-all, but as a human with limitations, faults, but also fully confident in his mercy, not because he scooped you up when you were drowning. No, 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 far more, but because he sent his son to die for you, to die for you and to die for me. And secondly, humble yourselves before others who have failed. You know, like they're, if they're dealing with God, then humble yourself in their presence. And if God is, is willing, you know, the reality is if God is willing to continue working and dialoguing with someone like Jonah, who personally, at times when I read the story, I just don't like him. But if he is willing to deal with someone like Jonah, he is certainly willing to continue to dialogue and work with somebody like you and like me and like other people that we may not like. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'll hold you to that. Because what you just said is you were right. <laughs> is this good news to you? Or does it just make you angry? 
I pray that it is good news. Some good news stings, but it is for our deliverance. This bread, when Jesus was with his disciples, not he was betrayed. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup of wine after giving thanks. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. His promise to deliver you for those that believe, that follow him. And so you're invited to come forward in a minute. If you call Christ as Lord and you're working that out in your heart, you're invited to come forward to this station or this station. Please take time to pray. Please take time to confess. Please take time to praise and give thanks and trust that there are mixed motivations in you. Yes, there are. So there, there are me too. It's okay. We do what we can with what we have and the knowledge that we have. The way we do that here is we take a piece of the bread and we dip it in the wine or the juice. We have both, whichever your conscience permits. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the prayer of the prophet Jonah. There's so much for us to learn here. That There are things in me that I, I'm not aware of that still need to be confessed. But the amazing truth, the amazing mercy here is that you are enduring and being patient with me and you are loving me in spite of what I do not even recognize or see in myself. And so, Father, that is such good news this morning. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the fact that he put himself on the cross for me, bearing my sin, bearing all of our sin. And he's giving to us, willing to give us his innocence and his righteousness. May we remember that. May we reflect it in our lives and in our words with our friends and our neighbors and our family and our church. This is good news. We give you thanks in all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.